even with all the technology and all the new platforms and everything, human interaction, human networking, bottom line is the most valuable way of building out a business. Let's talk quality, family business, and American-made tools. Bits and Bits offers all three and more. They make all types of bits, CNC bits, router bits, engraving cutters, even custom bits if you need. The list goes on. Everything you want for your shop, you can get at bitsbits.com. It's their name, but it's also what they do. They are first and foremost a manufacturer. They actually make their own products in their own Pacific Northwest American factory. And for over 30 years, they've been a family business. So if you want to talk about a company that stands behind their product, you're talking about Bits and Bits. They are also a full Festool and Whiteside distributor. But what really stands them apart in my mind, besides manufacturing their own product, is their exclusive Astra coating. They put it on everything they make and it extends the life of a bit no matter if you're using it in wood, metal, or plastic. Want to know more? Just check out bitsbits.com. That's B-I-T-S, B-I-T-S dot com. Check them out for all your bits needs. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Kuejo Som Pingpong, owner of the furniture company Crafted Glory. Kuejo is the definition of balancing two full-time jobs working for someone else as an engineer by night, and by day, he, his wife, and their employees spend their time building furniture. As the years have passed, what started as a small Etsy company back in 2017 has now turned into a full-time furniture business with a strong foundation that is growing year after year. So follow along as we talk about the good and bad of Etsy, laying groundwork for business future, understanding your pricing value, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Quajo's story in his own words. I, for a long time, have enjoyed working with my hands. It started as far back as I remember with Legos. And as a kid, I really enjoyed building with Legos. Anytime that I got the opportunity, I would beg my parents to buy more Legos. At the time, we were close to Toys R Us, uh, which is, I don't even know if they're still operating now, but um, we were next door to it. So I would always want to go there and get more and more and more Legos. And I could spend the entire day building. And I, I didn't like using the instructions. I just wanted to create whatever was on my mind. Then got older and got to the point of having to choose a, a degree in college after high school and all of that. I didn't know what field would be best for me with an interest in, in building. Then uh, I, I learned about engineering. So I pursued mechanical engineering as my undergraduate and stayed around for a master's in civil and environmental engineering. At that time, I had a strong interest in sustainability. And at a conference, I saw a, a poster for or, or a booth for a company that was really touting their, their stance on sustainable um, practices. And that was the company that I currently work as my day job, actually my night job. Um, and that's Eaton Corporation. So that's what drew me to them. I started with them and have been with them for about 11 years. 
in the process of that, I got transported to Asheville, North Carolina with the company and eventually got a, a house here. When we're looking for homes, the, the houses were all nicely furnished and it never occurred to me that all this furniture wouldn't be here when I moved into the house. So then when it came time to move in, the house was empty and it echoed. And so I had to uh, start my journey of looking for furniture to, to fill the house. I wanted interesting items, not just uh, mass-produced items. So uh, I started thrifting, found some things, but couldn't find all the things that I wanted. So one day I decided to try and make some side tables. So I, I pulled together some uh, crude materials, just some dowels from Lowe's, some boards here and there, had some, a, a cirque saw, and just put something together. And in the process, I realized how much I enjoyed it. And, and it, it felt right in line with what I enjoyed as a child, working with my hands. So that started, that planted the seed for furniture. And over the course of many weeks and months, I started acquiring uh, tools here and there, um, turned my garage into a shop. It was in, uh, in one summer where my sister was going to do a study abroad trip and she needed to raise money. Uh, we had the idea of making some wooden jewelry for that. And so I, I came up with some designs, made them, and uh, realized that this would be great to sell on Etsy. So I listed them. After some time, people started buying them. And that's how the Etsy journey started. And then over time, people started requesting different items. I started getting new ideas and would list them. And it, it, it just continued like that until eventually I got into larger items, coffee tables, dining tables. And today, that's almost exclusively what, what we do. Larger items. Most of our business is, is through Etsy but we are also working to really build out our independence and, and do more local work as well. But very grateful for, for Etsy to have moved us to this point. It's been quite a journey, very exciting. It sounds like quite a journey from, from Legos to the energy world and then jewelry and now building furniture. And I know that we could talk for hours about your creative flow and how you're building everything. But I, I do want to get into the business side of this because it is a business for you and you've been doing it since 2017 and you've been doing it primarily on Etsy. So I want to get into that a little bit more. Yeah. Selling large things on Etsy at least to me, seems like a very hard thing to do. It feels like a, a smaller, like jewelry, like you started with. It feels like that kind of yeah. product really shines on it. Can you talk about how you pushed your furniture forward and your larger items forward on a platform that is primarily known for smaller pieces? Well, it wasn't my intention originally to do <laughs> to make larger items and, and uh, sell them on Etsy. It's just it's, uh, over time, perhaps partially due to their, their marketing efforts and just people uh, discovering that it's a platform that um, was very suitable for furnishing their homes. Um, gradually, I got drawn into uh, doing larger items there. Really, I point to one interior designer in particular and, and her uh, 
request for a couple items that really pushed me into this realm. Uh, it's an interior designer in Florida who requested a, a large 60 inch by 60 inch coffee table. And um, that was my first time building it. So I built that and enlisted that. But actually before that, she act requested a waterfall uh, walnut live edge console table, also quite large. And that was my first time I built it, um, decided to take pictures and listed it. And lo and behold, that was something that a lot of people were interested in. So I got a lot of requests and um, then the pedestal uh, coffee table also listed that. And that actually is my highest grossing item on Etsy. So really her request is what pushed me into this arena. And from there, people would start requesting uh, specific things, custom items, modifications to designs of mine. Selling on Etsy, it, it's, it's great because they're, they, all of their marketing efforts and all of the support that they give to draw customers to makers like me, that's very helpful. There are many inherent challenges, uh, of course, not getting the full amount of a sale. You know, there's th that, that piece, which is understandable. They're bringing business to us. Also shipping, many customers there, at least my perception initially was that they would be reluctant to pay an additional three or $400 for shipping a table that they just spent a couple thousand dollars on. Of course, now I'm realizing that the, the clientele that I am pushing towards are people who are willing to pay that for shipping. But initially I didn't realize that. And so that was, that would eat into my, my profit because I would, tr I would absorb that by offering free shipping, which is really just having shipping baked into the price. It took a, a long time to work through a lot of the inherent challenges but um, I think we're, we're we're getting close. We're getting close. I want to get into, and I'm going to get into shipping and how you're building that into your price and some of the other things you talked about. But yeah. you said that Etsy puts a lot of effort into their marketing and really brings people in so they can tell people that there is furniture on Etsy and that you're there. But you also, I believe, do marketing on Etsy yourself by buying Etsy ads. And can you talk about the organic way you get traction on Etsy and also how you're buying Etsy ads and yeah. getting traction on that for sales? Well, with the organic piece, uh, it's important to display the items well, what, what we create. Um, so a lot of that, a big part of that is photographing the items well. And before that, making sure that it's an item that is, is well-designed, it's aesthetically pleasing. And that will draw people in. And then I do spend a daily amount on ads. At a certain point, they, there's a really strong push towards uh, sellers buying ads from, from Etsy's standpoint. So yeah, I, I spend on that and it's, it's been helpful. It's been quite helpful. We do get traffic good traffic from from that. Let's talk about actually interacting with customers on Etsy because some people listening might already be selling on Etsy, but some people might not. They might think, I've heard a lot about it, but I've never thought it would be a good platform to sell my furniture on. And you're a perfect person to talk to about this because you've been selling furniture on Etsy since 2017. So you know your way around it. 
when you're dealing with customers and especially with your pieces where there are a lot of live edge options that you offer. There are a lot of customizations you offer. There's a lot of wood materials. So it's not just one cookie cutter piece that you can take a picture of and say, every time you give me money, you get this exact piece. So there's a lot of back and forth with you and the customer. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how that works? Because usually with custom furniture, somebody emails you or calls you and you have a long conversation, but it might not go the same way when you're dealing with a customer on Etsy. So far, the interactions have been mostly favorable. And any time that it's not, typically it comes from a a lack of communication, maybe a, a detail that wasn't really ironed out well initially. So I've, I've definitely learned to make sure that any question that needs to be asked gets asked. Any detail that may not be clear, it's better to clarify up front rather than assuming. And it, it ends better that way. Digging a little deeper into that, the initial outreach is usually on Etsy, I would assume. Yeah. And then how does the communication go after that? Do you take it off platform and directly speak with these people through your own email or phone calls or do you keep it all on platform and then speak with people like that and then with the sale i assume since it's you got it from the platform that's how you bring it back and then complete your sales on that so then you can get more stats as an etsy seller is that correct yeah that's basically correct Uh, if they reach out on etsy then we pretty much keep it on Etsy. Um, uh, there are some who we started on Etsy and then now we've built a relationship. And so now they feel comfortable just working directly with me. It's nice to have Etsy as a layer of mutual protection because the, the customer feels more confident uh, reaching out to me, a stranger, although I do have, uh, I have reviews and and this digital image, but still I'm someone they haven't worked with before. So going through Etsy, uh, Etsy affords them some protection in case I were, I didn't have integrity with um, that interaction. But then once we've built a relationship, then we can work directly with each other. You mentioned layers of protection being on Etsy, and that was something that I want to speak with you about, because if you're working on your own and on your own, I mean, without selling on a major platform like Etsy or some of the other ones, and it's just your company directly to the client, you want to have a contract. You want to have something that keeps you protected from something bad that might happen. Mm -hmm. We all hope it doesn't, and we all hope that every transaction goes smoothly, but on occasion, and if you've listened to any of the past episodes or spoke with any furniture maker, you know that there is the potential for things to go a little sideways when it comes to custom furniture or any furniture in general. Does Etsy give you any extra protection with contracts or with just their guidelines or the way it's set up? Or do you have to put your own contracts in place when you're dealing with clients? The way I've I've operated is I've allowed, by virtue of being on the platform, to be the layer of protection. 
So we, we iron out the specifics. I spell that out in the details of what they're ordering. I have a picture of the, the piece that inspired what they want, or I'm, if there's a sketch that was created, we'll put it there as well. And all the terms of whether there's going to be a deposit um, and then a final payment, and all those things are spelled out there. So it becomes almost like a contract. And being on the platform gives them comfort because if something goes wrong, they can open up a case and then Etsy will be an intermediary and work with us to a resolution. So that's, that's how I operate. But fundamentally, uh, I, I operate with the understanding that I'm going to do everything I can to take care of them. So I've had situations where something happened and so we remade it for them and we took care of them we took took that um that loss reviews matter in general even if you just have your own website or even if you're not on a platform but they really do matter mm -hmm. on etsy a lot it helps you stand above the crowd in a very crowded group of furniture makers and other makers on the site you could get in this position where a client's asking for something and it's over the top or it's beyond what they've paid for. How are you dealing with great customer service, which you seem like you would have whether you need to or not, but also not being held hostage by a client when one bad review could really affect your business in a negative way, even if it wasn't your fault? Yeah. Well, thank God that up to now I haven't had uh, such a, a customer that was very needy or demanding and also reflected it in their review. I have had some very needy and demanding customers. And I can remember, okay, one case in point was early on, there's a customer actually... Looking back, I really regret how it all played out from the pricing to my bending way, way, way over backwards to try and accommodate her needs um, because I saw that she, some of her um, things online and it seemed that she could very well afford a, a high-end piece. But at that time, I didn't know what people were willing to spend so I charged way, 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 way low on this piece. And what she wanted was uh, a table that could fold, the legs could fold. It was going to be a card table. She wanted it to be lightweight, but also solid walnut. She wanted to be able to carry it by herself. She wanted it to have fold out cup holders and a couple other requirements. <laughs> that, and they all don't fit together very well. So I did the very best I could but with all those limitations, it just it, it didn't turn out the greatest and it was delayed. So she, she wanted a whole lot and, I, and the, the price was quite low. In the end, I delivered the product and she never wrote a review, uh, didn't really give any feedback. So it, we just parted ways. But I learned a lot from that about pricing, about communication, about not biting off more than I can chew.
I want to actually talk about pricing next because that's something that a lot of people like to hear about. They want to understand how other people are doing their pricing and how they're making money or not making money in some cases in their furniture business. And I want to put an asterisk on this, that you do have another job, that this isn't your full-time job. It's not your full-time income. But at the same time, you do have an employee and you are putting a lot of your work into this. And I have to assume that you're thinking about this as a full-time job or a potentially a full-time job in the future. So you're thinking about it in that way and you want to run it like a full-time job, not a part-time job. Yeah. Your furniture pieces are all solid wood and you have a lot of different wood options, oak and walnut and maple and cherry, and they're big and they're, they're heavy and you have some legs that are really chunky and big pieces of wood and you're using Rubio to finish it, which is a expensive finish and you have an employee and you're also including free shipping and you're also paying a fee to Etsy as well. And, <laughs> and I see you sweating a little bit thinking about all of the different charges that you need to add into the pricing. But I do want to talk about how you come up with the numbers that you're charging for these pieces. Yeah, gladly. This is a, a point of conversation that is really top of mind for me because it has caused a lot of stress, a lot of stress over, over the years. Not understanding pricing, not understanding how I could price items, not understanding the worth and value of what the work that I'm doing. So Crafted Glory is, is a full-time job. I'm working basically 40 hours a week in it on top of my other full-time job. Sometimes people say, oh, how's your hobby? And I'm like, no, 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 this is not a hobby. <laughs> this is far more. Um, and therefore, I, you know, I've learned up at this point that I, I really cannot afford to not price things well because time is so precious and it has really become even more pressing for me since I, I just got married recently this, this year, and time is so valuable. Think about my, my family and everything. So I'm so grateful for, for my wife who has helped in this area. Now, initially pricing, I would kind of go off my gut and kind of turn some numbers around my head, but not really have good data behind why I'm charging. So we, we came across a book called uh, Profit First. And I listened to that audiobook. Basically, the premise is that you should always start with profit rather than doing all your expenses, going through that, and then whatever's left at the end, then that's your profit. So if you want your profit to be X, start with that and then build off of that and every other percentage, allocate them specifically. So in, in this book, they talked about profit. They talked about owner's pay taxes, and operational expense. So those four categories. And so we, we've been using this as a guideline. So we'll, we'll look at what our expenses are. We'll, we set a profit percentage that we want and an owner's pay because previously I basically was not paying myself. And then um, set aside a percentage for taxes and then a percentage for operational expense, which is any direct expense to make that table. 
So we used that as a framework, and we found it to be very helpful since we've implemented it. This is relatively recent in the past few months, and we're finding that it's pushing us in the right direction and helping us to recover from a long time of not pricing things right. Because what happens is when you price incorrectly, it just snowballs very quickly into lots of issues because now you're, you're just constricted. If anything goes wrong, then you're already cutting into your, your margins. And then you're, you have to cut into your time if you have to remake something. And then the next item is getting past due and it just snowballs from there. And that's what I experienced. So today we are uh, using that method and finding it to be very helpful. As you move off of Etsy more, I know you're still working on there. I know you're still selling on there and will probably continue for some time, but you are moving. You've had this company for almost seven years and you're developing relationships with people that you're working with them off platform or you're working with people locally and you're not only selling on Etsy, you're trying to move it to your own website, your own company. Can you talk about how you're making that move and and what that's looking like in your mind, but also physically how you're doing that with company information that you're putting out there? Yeah, that is a, a big focus of mine and, and my wife's right now is to just build that out. And we're focusing on networking. We've realized that it's it's just even with all the technology and all the new platforms and everything, human interaction, human networking, bottom line is the most valuable way of building out a business from our observations. So we are just really focusing on meeting people, on using LinkedIn to connect with people, on really thinking about what other avenues can afford us opportunities to build furniture at higher prices for clients who can afford to pay us what we need in order to turn this into our only occupation. So we need that price to go higher and higher to a good point. We've realized that in order to command those higher prices, we need very unique pieces. And so we're thinking, what can we leverage? This is my wife and I. What can we leverage to allow us to do that? We see a lot of the same designs out there. Um, and we thought that we should really leverage our cultural heritage. So my wife and I, our cultural heritage is Ghana, West Africa. And so we, I also like Scandinavian design. You can see it in my uh, aesthetic in my pieces. So we thought, why not combine? So we're combining the Ghanaian artistry with Scandinavian inspired design to make a, a unique category. And um, we are, we've introduced a few pieces uh, to that end, and we look forward to continuing to do that. So networking is, is huge. And now I'm Anything that I come across, like on the news or on the website, I see that there's a new hotel going up or a new development going up. I'm thinking, okay, let me see who's the, the developer. Do they need some custom furniture in that place? Then I go reach out. I go on LinkedIn, just really mining for names and contacts 
reaching out, cold, cold emails. And we're finding that gradually that's helping to move us in that direction. You've been in this business for a while and you have knowledge and you have an understanding of this industry and we're all growing and nobody's perfect in what they do, but you have been at this for a while and I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes in this industry and you've changed along with it. So for somebody who's starting their business or for somebody who already has a business and wants to be better at it, wants to move to the next level, what's some advice that you could share with those people from your own experiences? Getting your reps in. If you if there's a concept that is new to you uh, in, in the furniture making, just do it over and over and over until you it becomes second nature. And I found that to be incredibly valuable for me. As you build that the repetitions, you start to build your reputation because um, you get very good at what you do and then people see that and they're drawn to that. I would say patience is key. You may want to immediately get to the high-end clients and doing very recruitable work, but there is something to say for being in the trenches and doing the pieces that may not be as high dollar even if you don't, you're not at that point yet, you still do want to make sure that you are pricing things well from the start. Because as you scale up, that's you don't want to start from a, a bad place in terms of pricing. And then now you're making larger pieces that you have to ship far away and your pricing isn't good and it's just not going to turn out well. Well, I want to thank you for those recommendations and all the other knowledge that you've shared through this episode. I really appreciate you sitting down and talking with me and sharing what you've learned so far and wishing you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build With Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.